welcome to campaign comrades i'm your host rick and with me today are my trusty comrades i'm mike i'm matt i'm ben all right today on your favorite leftist gaming podcast uh brought to you by raid shadow legends <laughs> try now for free right so yeah raid shadow legends what what the hell is this explain this to me before we jump into our topic for the day which will be one of our uh deep dive episodes into a key topic in gaming which is the monetization of the industry but let's uh let's hear some more about this raid raid shadows legends raid shadow legends i don't even know the name what is this Slash flinging slash bringing. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe you've never like you know just been never in seen a, an ad. Like, like just like a, a YouTube like you know a dark hole where you just uh you know are just getting spammed with uh, rage. These ads have been around since like 2015. I think. I think I remember them in college. Jeez, I must be completely oblivious. It's the uh, app, the multi level marketing scheme of video games. Yeah. Uh, where. They just sponsor streamers, uh, streamers, to, to play YouTube the channels, game. yeah, podcasts. to pump out the game. It is a downloads. perfect, it is a perfect, you know, like case study for exactly what we're talking about today. You know, it's just a game fundamentally built around how can you, you know, juice as much it's, it's money free to out play. of, of every they, single they player. They say it very particularly when they always sponsor it, it's always. Uh, start now for free start now. because right. they know that you're going to want all... to spend real money once you're inside to like right. actually they've play got the like, game when you see how they've got they're. all like they've got all like the the six different types of in-game currency and every sponsorship thing is like if you sign up with my special code you know you'll get uh you know you'll get six thousand gems and... and and two premium hero packs <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, jump in and, and get ahead of the thing. But yeah, whereas you just you got to spend that that in-game currency to get anywhere in the game. And that's just what it's fundamentally built around. My favorite part of it is they're not paying out on a majority of those sponsorships. That's because, hilarious to me. Yeah. Oh, well, that's why it's a great it's a great marketing gimmick for them. Oh, it's it's uh, yeah. Amazing. They're, they're putting it out to any type of streamer and like small streamers and they have like certain package, you know, sponsorship packages um and it's not like just that you download the game and then that it counts towards the streamer's number of like you know 200 people it's like you have to download the game and then you have to play to a certain level so you know if you want to help your streamer out you got to sit there for an hour and like grind through the game that maybe you'll never play again to boost their numbers but most likely within like you know the sponsorships are like a week so most likely within that week, your, you know, 50 viewer Andy streamer isn't going to get 200 people to get to that particular level. And, and they make it like confusing too, of like what level or, you know, certain experience in the game you need uh, in order to reach the mark. So I'm sure tons of people are grinding and just like cutting short of that level and moving on and they don't get that, uh, that sponsorship money. But Raid Shadow Legends gets another download, you know, gets people to play. Maybe some people put some money into it. Well, so it fucking works out for and them. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're also monetized via ads, right? There's no way that's not an ad-supported game. 
it's got to have ads in it if it's is, isn't every mobile game essentially just riddled with ads nowadays i don't play mobile that's that's games. kind of yeah, i don't know that's my expectation of a mobile game i mean i think that's kind of goes hand in hand with the model which we'll get to so as i said earlier uh today's topic is monetization in gaming particularly the video game industry we're going to be focusing on uh in my research it was you know that's really the biggest segment here it's a lot of revenue a couple key players. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But before jumping in there, I did want to, you know, bring some questions to you all on what you kind of consider to be the gaming industry uh, in today, you know, the year 2022. Well, I mean, yeah, no. Yeah, so just like when you, if you could further yeah, I, absolutely. That so like when you think of the gaming industry, what comes to mind? Cause I think, you know, for me, I, I definitely jump to particularly the video game space, but I think we need to all realize that this is like a much broader sector now that really, as we just talked about, includes mobile uh, streaming. Not It's not just console, which, you know, for me, I, say, I, I, I guess when of, you say that, all I think about is just the, the constant pushing towards streaming. That seems to be the yeah the end goal for everybody. That's fair. I would definitely say what I have learned, so uh, like on the course of starting this podcast, is something that maybe I really uh, didn't know beforehand. Just basing off of my own experience, was I was ignorant to how big mobile games were. I feel kind of stupid about that now because, like, yeah, all the all the normies yeah are playing their candy crush and you know that's been a yep. you know you a, meme, remember, a meme for since like 2012 yeah right exactly so i i'm i with with that kind of knowledge now um knowing how how large of a percentage that makes up for for the gaming industry profits i don't i don't see how you can basically say it's you know that that's not where everything's going and we uh, have covered episodes in the past. It'll, you know, still be probably uh, relatively recent news by the time this gets uh, this episode gets published. But you know, uh, major major acquisitions in mobile have been at the center of um, the industry yeah. going forward. So, with companies like like Zynga and. Um, you know, the king part of Activision Blizzard King. A lot of companies have just kind of learned that um, when you put games out for free on mobile, people will spend money in them because you have your phone with you all the time. When you have a game on your PC, you spend time away from your computer. There's time when that game can't be touched and interacted with. But when you put a game in your pocket in the phone, I mean, you're on the bus. Now uh, you're at work. Yeah, you're, you're on the shitter. You're uh, waiting in line at the fucking coffee shop. Like you can, you can be playing on your phone and a lot of these games don't even require that much. Like it's designed around one handed input for a lot of these Fortnite, obviously is designed to be held the horizontal, like a controller. Some games uh, implement that touchscreen control. I don't know how people do that. That feels so weird. It's infuriating. Uh, but a lot of these games are designed for that one-handed input so that you don't have to be paying attention as much so that you could be like multitasking while still playing because they want you to be playing more frequently. Yeah, and Ben, I I agree with you. And and that was kind of what 
why I wanted to bring this up with you all is, is I was kind of ignorant to how large the mobile gaming sector had grown over the last 10 years, you know, uh, based on the last 2020 uh, revenue estimates, it's pretty much half of the revenues in the industry are coming from mobile. So uh, how did we get here? This is, you know, effectively it, it all started that one fateful day when nokia put snake on <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it all started with that little green and black snake game we all played on our parents cell phones uh but just on a brick just going back in history and, and then and then the iphone uh the i yeah iphone came out and we got fucking doodle jump <laughs> doodle jump became oh that. man wow that's a that's a pull i had not thought about doodle jump in a long time uh, oh, I, could, I could keep I could keep listing them off. <laughs> no, we don't need to go through all of the annoying Apple phone games. All, all of our high school study hall uh, time wasters. Oh boy, there's a lot of those. Temple Run. Temple Run. Stupid. Did did Doodle Jump like uh, you know try to charge you to get like the different abilities and stuff? No, Doodle Jump I think was kind of right? pre, pre. Yeah, we had micro we had the microtransactions of, of yeah of of mobile games where it was just know, they, ads. Yeah, they hadn't caught on quite yet about how to uh, how to get that extra buck out of no, us. No, they hadn't. Which you know, that's really what this is all about. And and getting that extra buck, you know, kind of going back in time, starts really back, you know, in the fifties, uh, sixties, and seventies with our friend Milton Friedman and the idea of share Shout shareholder out. capitalism. Yo, he's a great he's a great Homie. guy. You know, we we love Milton Friedman here. <laughs> uh, but his shareholder capitalism really is what started this and the idea of driving bottom line revenue and shareholder growth for your stockholders is really became the focus of these large corporations and so that has had an impact on the gaming industry you know beginning back with the start of games and their kind of mainstream as a electronic form of entertainment with the atari and arcades in the 1970s uh, you had you know 25 cent plays people were spending time in the, the arcade they're spending their 25 cents every time they want to play it's a quick hit pac-man run you know you got three to five minutes maybe 10 if you're really good and then you got to put another quarter in. Uh, that that How many of us can remember um, the the Southington Movie Theater arcade. Oh, that's legendary. Th- th- that's some of my earliest uh, arcade memory is going in there while parents were waiting in line to get tickets or snacks or something. Dude, the, the and going in there and chipping away at a, what was it like time splitters? Time uh, the the light gun game. It's time. It's it's time. Time, time crisis. It's to... time crisis. Yeah. Time crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Great game. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely, game. definitely a goaded game. Oh, yeah, that one was a goaded game. Pretty sure you could get that on PC, dude. They had it. They might have it. They probably. It's, do. it's not the same without the foot pedal. It's, it's not, not the same without the, without the. No, foot pedal. you need the foot pedal. But so arcades explode in the seventies. Then you get at home gaming with uh, Atari and Sega, and that's in the eighties. You know, you so the, the move goes to home models. Arcade games fall out of favor. And we start to see a revenue model based on, you know, sales of consoles, sales of games and sales of peripheral equipment. And that's kind of there was a big argument back then, wasn't there, that the arcades shouldn't have died yet because they were still the definitive way to play a bunch of these games. 
especially oh, yeah. like so, the, so, the, so so many of the early console games were were awful. you know essentially barely passable ports of arcade games you know the arcades arcade versions were were definitely superior and i think we've talked about that in previous episodes as well that was you know just a Re- remakes and remasters was like a, a technological limitation yeah. you know of the of the hardware that was that was available 100 percent. it was it was a technical technological uh barrier you know the games were pretty shitty that led to which which ben mentioned and matt mentioned we previously discussed you know a downturn in gaming you know from the in the mid 80s and then we really started to figure out how to do you know at home consoles in a way that people were enjoying it that's in the the you know, late 80s early 90s you start to get mortal kombat uh, some more original titles come out. This really starts to grow the market. You see some major players enter. Uh, so, you know, looking at some of our key names in gaming uh, today, you have Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, Activision, EA Sports, Take Two, just to name a few. Um, th- all of those companies entered into the gaming market. Uh, or started up in the 80s to 90s, really taking a foothold in the 90s as as major players in the industry. Um, So I think that's kind of an interesting time there. That that 90s timeframe where these consoles really start to explode is, is kind of where all of these bigger companies start to have, you know, lots of capital they're they're exploding the 80s and 90s are a boom uh and they want to generate shareholder wealth they they want to generate returns so they start to look to monetize these consoles a little bit better um the 90s were the wild west for video game consoles that was every fucking electronic company wanted their own console on the market you had Philips. you had apple doing some bullshit you had like every single company who made some sort of vcr peripheral for a TV was trying to get in on the console market at the time. Well, it's almost like, like the streaming devices for TVs now, you know, and it's just going to whittle down to like the Apple, uh, you know, home and Amazon fire and And like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's it. I think it's a very similar, uh, pattern that we're seeing. And it, I mean, that kind of is how industry works in, in the system with capitalism. You know, we see these, these industries start, they're very, they're very segmented. You have lots of players and then they just slowly consolidate over time. Um, and, you know, we saw that in gaming and we continue to see it today. So one of the things that is interesting, though, is as the industry left the arcade model, they actually lost revenue. That, that arcade model actually was generating about $40 billion in revenue uh, a year, which the industry drops off as it goes to the at home and it really doesn't return to that $40 billion figure until the late nineties. So it took, it took a little bit to recoup on that because they were making a lot less money on a, you know, per play basis. So that drive to kind of get back to a higher earning on, you know, a single player playing the game really has kind of driven this monetization, which, which has driven a lot of where games have gone in the last 20 years. That, that's interesting. I don't, I don't necessarily uh, think that there's a, a straight through line here, but it's like, 
I know this is where we're get we're you know we're going to get to the whole idea of microtransactions and stuff like that. But why? I'm just trying to. Th- I was as you're talking about. I'm trying to think. You know, why were at the time? You know, arcades still so much more profitable than at at home thing. It's going to the the idea of these of more more expenditures of smaller increments. You know, will always accumulate to say higher profits, and it's it's goes into the. The thing is, people are spending more money probably, you know, at the if, if they pooled all the money they spent on their their, you know, runs on Donkey Kong and and Miss Pac-Man or whatever, they probably could have, you know, afforded a, an at home console for the one time purchase. And, you know, and, and if anything, probably pay more, as as was noted by the profitability of arcades, they, you know, more people pay more. It is also more accessible in, in that yeah. sense. So I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting. Well, it's one of those things that, like, uh, thinking about it now, arcades never truly died. They just transformed. You you end up with gaming internet cafes and uh, VR cafes nowadays, which kind of serve that same uh, purpose that those arcades kind of serve, where it was allowing you to pay less upfront to experience things that you can't experience at home. A VR a VR arcade is very dystopian to me, because you know, like, there's there's the the whole bit about arcades that, you know, maybe had some real value was, you know, the kind of the social meeting space, you know, the, the ability to, you know, a place to go and, and, and be with friends and create memories and enjoy stories and games and, you know, what, what games are good for. Um, But, but, you know, say a VR, a VR thing where you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're together you're alone together you know you're in your own literal reality uh but with other people in their own other so yeah it's i don't know very dystopian to me i mean i the only thing i enjoyed about it was i was able to get a good vr headset for really cheap when they closed down yeah no that that definitely is dystopian but but i think there's two there's two aspects to the the value proposition of an arcade and and you hit on them ben and and what you said there and and one is that that community which yes you kind of lose if we start doing these vr things but the other is access to something you can't afford so you know i think there's always going to be people that want to try some of these newer tech and can't afford to do it on an individual basis but can in some sort of like arcade basis yeah like three hundred dollars for a quest headset is a lot harder to stomach than going and paying 30 bucks for uh six hours a vr use yeah exactly so i think that's that's interesting um but back to where we are in timing so um yeah essentially they the these companies really want to try and earn more money per per play back to that arcade type model um and in the the 2000s when microsoft enters the space um you know microsoft uh, not not big fans on this podcast the, here. The harbin the harbingers of the apocalypse. Literally, whenever Microsoft pops up, it's like yeah, oh, and that's it. Can't and be that's good. Essentially, uh, how it works here. So, 2000, they released the Xbox, which comes with the ability to have online play. And online shout out to the original Xbox release. Uh, at, what was it at E3 where with Bill, Billy Gates and and The Rock? Yep shout out that was when it was he was really the rock too still doing wwe yeah yeah you know expanding his entertainment career yeah 
no, that that is an, an all timer. Folks at home should, should should check it out if they haven't. If you weren't alive I'm, when that happened, you should go check it out. Yeah, and I'm relive yeah. history. I'm definitely gonna check that out because I have not seen that one. I've seen them dancing. You, you, I you love were the alive dancing. when that happened. There's no excuse. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Xbox is released has the capability to be an online game and that leads to the eventual explosion of online gaming which you see you know become more popular in the next generation with the ps3 and the xbox 360 online gaming is a core tenant of those consoles uh and see, has i remember the since. ps2 had a ethernet adapter oh you could play like 100 i played like world of tanks me and my neighbor or something like that or some like tank game yep no for sure the ps2 did have internet capabilities but you know the idea of having a wi-fi connected console and and everyone having online is really comes to uh bear in the ps3 xbox 360 generation uh and you know that's been a staple of consoles since then uh, but you know, as unless your name's Nintendo and then you avoid online, like the plague. Yeah. When did they finally do online? Was it the Wii U? The Wii had sort of online capabilities. Like you could watch like Netflix and shit on the Wii. Yeah. But was there, there wasn't online games for, for the DS always had them. Oh, okay. That's cool. But so anyways, the, from there, because we've now got this online capability, uh, game developers are like, wait, we have the chance to sell shit. And this brings about uh, the you know, inevitability and popularity of DLCs and microtransactions, which is a key component of monetization over the last 15 years in the space. And something that I think we all are you know, uh, actively disavow. Beginning of the end was Force <laughs> Armor DLC horse armor dlc the second horse armor dlc became a thing is when it all started to go downhill yep exactly and so from there you know that's uh, essentially what 2008 to 2012 we see this explosion horse armor say horse armor was 2006 2006 yeah so so even earlier so microtransactions have just continued to grow from there which has led to further streams of monetization for games uh then, you know, 2010s, as we previously mentioned, mobile games really start to explode as the iPhone and other, uh, you know, essentially pocket computers get to start to be carried around and used for mobile gaming, which opens... Name dropping iPhone, but refusing to acknowledge Android. Sorry, sorry, I'll throw in the Android. You know, I'm, a, I'm an Apple guy. I just got to... Got a poo-poo. You poo-poo were an Android, Android guy. From a you, you were an Android guy back then. I was. Yeah. And then I got an iPhone and it worked, you know, six months longer than the Android seemed to work. So, <laughs> um, And then, you know, from there, we have a couple other monetization streams that have really begun to become popular over the last couple of years, five to 10 years, including the ongoing based revenue models, freemium gaming, which we really see explode with mobile uh, ad-based gaming and streaming models. So these are all, you know, things that have come up in current conversations. Um, but, you know, why, what, what do you guys think is the reason that we accept, like, that we get this shit? I think generally the response from my perspective to a lot of these strategies, you know, if you look at the microtransactions, the 
the feedback from players is that we hate this. So overwhelmingly. Negative. Yeah. So like what from, what are your thoughts on like, how, why, why do, why does this work? Why, why do these things, despite the negative reception and constantly, you know, poor response from their consumers, why do these things still end up working? So I name dropped Android back there uh, for an actual reason. And that's because at the time, one of the major differences between the Android and iPhone, uh, iPhone platforms or that a lot of the games that you could get on iPhone that cost money, you could get on Android for free. And you got them on Android for free because they had ads in them. And that was the first major split there that I, uh, iOS did not want to put ads in their paid games. So they left them as paid games only for their developers. But then they were going on Android, they could be gotten for free. And there was also the paid version that would be, you know, ad lists, which is, you know, maintained to this day with even... Fuck, I think my weather channel app has a paid version that's like, hey, if you pay, you don't see an ad. Like, fuck off, it's a weather app. And Apple eventually got on board with that later yes, on. Later probably on. like, yeah. That but that was a major difference at the time between the two platforms. And it was something that uh, you know, Apple looked at and like they do, when they see it actually works, they adopt it. But and I, I think one of the the reason well i guess it's more of a question all these people that are complaining are they still playing the mobile games so that's the thing do we, i don't know if it's the same people i feel like the mobile gamers are and and i've seen some some research on this but mobile gamers are kind of more considered to be a, a casual gamer they are generally as we talked about earlier in the episode uh the, they're just on their phone in line and playing this game for five minutes or they're sitting on the subway and playing this game for 15 minutes as they get to where they're going. They're driving to work while eating a hamburger with one hand. Yeah, exactly. There's a hamburger in one hand playing, yeah, playing, uh, you know, Candy Crush in the other and driving with the knee on the wheel. Yep, 100%. So 75 down the highway in Connecticut getting passed on both sides. (laughs) So I think that's part of the issue here. Like, because I think that's your mobile gamer versus your more hardcore you know console gamers are considered to be in the in the industry hardcore gamers and i think that's where the complaints come from hardcore gamer due to to the (laughs) fact that the mobile industry and, and sector is just such a large portion uh the developers can say kind of fuck you to these more hardcore gamers with these complaints because they still make the money and one of the things I'll bring up about mobile gaming, at least in recent years, is I think it's incredibly ex- exploitative because it, and I, you know, I'd have to look at some statistics. I don't actually even know if they're tracked or if they could potentially be tracked because of who is paying for the games. But I think it's really targeting children, and yeah. especially during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, that's been, that's been born. That, that, that's that's definitely been born out in, in research. Yeah. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. So I didn't want to say it was, but yeah, I, like, so those are the the that's like the largest audience spending their parents money on these microtransactions or these games so like there i think it is an easy reason why of you know they could continue doing this is because it's just being terribly exploitive but then even for like the console gamers who are upset about microtransactions but they're still playing the game i think that like americans especially have been so conditioned to just like take what we're given uh, 
and then like for the average person it's so hard to break out of that and like and and even if you can break out of that knowing that like boycotting it or something isn't going to make it go away like i think that's a a huge like brain block and like if you want to be entertained you want to be entertained so you say fuck it and you know deal with the slop that's given to you right what what other choice do these people have you know it's like these you know people like are particularly the the ones who you know are most susceptible to these predatory practices may require you know the the playing of these games for some kind of you know uh coping mechanisms you know or you know purely like are suffering from mental health problems that are further exacerbated by uh you know the squeezing of money from them but you know what else are they going to do like what other like they they have no other outlet or resource to you know treat any underlying uh issue whether you know truly you know mental health problems or just the underlying ills of society it's like people who you know uh you know work a shitty job all day and come home and want to play their their want to play their dang call of duty mm-hmm. and it's riddled with microtransactions in the but playing at least experience it's free. And I can yeah, play the, it because the, it doesn't cost me money up front. It's like the playing experience sucks and they like are complaining about it online all the time. But, uh, you know, so their other, the only option they have is not playing the game. And then w- what the fuck else are they going to do with their time? Yeah. And, you know, or with, with that little bit of free time yeah. that they have, well, and that's, but it's again, it's the, they, well, they don't books, have books the, cost actual money. And again, call of duty Warzone is free. Yeah. There you go. And and can they read? Well, and and beyond that, I mean, this is something we've talked about in other episodes and and I think it's it's something that's important to this conversation in that this this industry is is pretty consolidated. Like we we can act like it's not, but you look at the revenue and over half of it is going to those the top 10 companies in the space. And if you look at the top 5, it's you know 50% of that so or it's even more it's it's uh 75% of that so you really have just like a couple key players controlling where the industry is going and forcing it down our throat and they see you know they see these mobile games pop up and use these strategies and they're they're hugely profitable and they just want to extract and, and and they recognize that you know it's easily done and it's an, an easy way to just add to the bottom line and w- why the consumer can't say no like your 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 option is either participate in it or don't enjoy gaming at all pretty much it, it's there that those are your two options um well it's something we're seeing microsoft do right now which is they're flexing the amount of revenue that they have in their back pocket that they can spend to keep developers putting stuff on the game pass right away because they're trying to, you know, game pass sells at a loss right now. Like they, they don't make money on game pass. They make money on people getting into the games and getting into the ecosystem. Um, they're basically trying to squeeze everyone into the streaming model because that's where they want everything to go. Right. And they've wanted that for uh, since the Xbox one launch, they've just changed the wording back at the Xbox one launch. It wasn't, we don't want you to own games. It was, we don't want you to be able to resell games. It's when you buy a game, it's for you and you alone. It has to be online and you need uh, authentication checks. 
all they've done is repackage their Xbox One launch into their Game Pass and say, hey, it's for you for what's 50, is it 15 bucks a month is the, the Game Pass price? Uh, starts at 10 yeah. and then goes up to 15. Yeah. And that they're running this right now on a loss, knowing that they can afford to do that longer until they squeeze people. And then they'll raise it up once they've, you know, squeeze the market down and you know it'll be 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 30 bucks. Say so Microsoft loves to, you know, claim, you know, even with this Activision deal. Phil Spencer's still, your friend. They'd still only be like, you know, third in in gaming revenue. Yeah. But be be specific about the gaming revenue. Microsoft is one of the largest companies on the fucking planet. And, you know, has more. I think, Rick, you've talked about this with actual numbers that, you know, that the, the amount of cash that they have on hand, you know, far out, you know, outweighs anything oh, that the competition What, what do has. a majority of PC gamers play on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Windows. Sorry. No, Microsoft is dominant. <laughs> and that, that honestly, that revenue is um, something that's interesting to talk about. You know, you think we, I found something that was some research into really quantifying the industry. And when you look at numbers, a lot of really what you see cited for 2021 market revenue is about $170 billion. Uh, however, this, this co- company or research group did some further analysis. Let me give them some credit because it was pretty, uh, pretty good. I, I really thought this was kind of a helpful tool. So they essentially found, though, that the real value was over three hundred billion, and that that one hundred and seventy billion is limited in scope. It's really just measurements of revenues from game software. So sales, in-app purchases, and that's about it. The generally doesn't include uh, important parts of the industry, you know, like esports, ad tech, and streaming. So when you see that 170 billion that a lot of people are, are, focusing on it's it's actually um really it's probably already at 300 billion when you kind of include these these other sources that are related to the industry and all these large players know this and see this and they're, they're going to strategize in a way that they can make the most money out of all of these potential consumers across all of that space and really something that Matt, you were just talking about that is interesting and, and that I think is also important here is this idea of getting everyone on streaming because really what these companies want to return to is the arcade model. They want all of us to pay every time we play these games. They don't care how much we're paying, but they want us to pay every time because ultimately that's going to be more money for them. Uh, and like something that I think is interesting that I'm sure these companies are talking about is when you look at entertainment options on a price per hour basis, video games are really almost relatively inexpensive in comparison. You look at a movie ticket, you're paying almost five, depending on the market, five to $10 for an hour of entertainment with video games. If you play, you know, 60 hours on a $60 game, that's only a dollar per hour. That's Relatively say my, my breath of the wild money was 12, 12 cents an hour. Yeah. 12 cents an hour. Like that's, that's cheap. Even, even that's cheaper 
compared to cable TV, which is 67 cents an hour based on, you know, like average consumption and cost of a cable per subscription package over a month. So I'm sure these companies- Well, that's different demographics. To yeah, that's, I mean- Who's watching cable yeah, TV. Those are those, fair. But these companies see this and, and they are saying, you know, we, we can extract more value because our value proposition- Well, yeah, they, they don't want me getting 12 cents an hour out of the game. Exactly. If they can. 100%. They, they want me to play the first portion on Game Pass and then the second portion is a DLC that I have to buy afterwards. And the third portion is- uh, an additional expansion four years later that you have to mine with a Bitcoin rig. And and ultimately the driver of this is they want to say, we are capitalizing on all of these eyes every single day. Like every, the entire, the, the reach that video games has, it's a huge market. I think it's something like two, uh, 2 billion people play video games across the, the world. So you know, if you can get all those people to to be paying on a regular basis, or even half of those people to be paying, you know, ten dollars, five dollars a month every month, that's a huge revenue stream that you can you know point to and say, look at all the money we're going to be passing to I mean, shareholders. How, how many of us have paid for streaming services that we don't use, or forgot about, or haven't touched in a long time, or any subscription, any subscription model? Like I, I think I paid for PS Now for like two fucking years after I stopped using it because I like it was like an annual subscription. I kept fucking forgetting about it, and then by the time I'd notice it out of my bank account, it'd be like, oh, cool, I can't refund it now because it's been a week. Well, and Rick, I think bringing up the cable, uh, you know, dollar or cents per hour. Uh, is interesting because when I think of, uh, you know, the game streaming, I always look at gaming, looking at the other areas of entertainment, mainly, you know, uh, like streaming video services and seeing that it was more profitable to charge that $10 or whatever, $17.99 now for fucking Netflix uh, a month. And, you know, get capture the people that are going to forget their that they are signed up and or never watch it or just pay and you know watch it on the one weekend when they netflix and chill yeah, they, they've also you know, watched like netflix once a year. just consistently raise their prices and no one care exactly so like it, you know it was much more profitable especially to the shareholder to you know change the model in this way from going going from the one uh one-time purchase that's giving you this shitty return per hour of usage. Um, and, and, you know, you know, Matt, Matt, you bring up your 12 cents an hour on the whatever 400 hours you put into the breath, into breath of the wild. Like you own that game and can continue to put hours into it. But if it's on a streaming service and they decide that it's only going to be up, you know, breath of the wild's only going to be on Nintendo's streaming service from, uh, you know, April to March, you know, you got to jam those 300 hours in then I mean, if you want to play it. Otherwise, the, the you, you, know, you lose access. I own it. I can sell it when I'm done if I don't want it anymore. And I can recoup yeah. costs from it. And then that game can be sold cheaper on the secondhand market over and over again. And that money does not go back to the developer. And that's the other thing that they don't want anymore. They don't want the secondhand market to exist. They haven't wanted the secondhand market to exist for a long time. And they've again, litigated about it. Again, yeah, it's so, that's so much money. It's so much money that they can't get their fingers 100%. on. Yeah. It's... The Xbox One launch was all about 
buy the disc. It's one-time use. Uh, you can never recoup the license once that uh, disc has been used. And instead of going with that version, it's now Game Pass where you don't own the license. Exactly. And again, that's all driven because they these companies want to show regular, repeated, continual revenue streams to their shareholders. And that's going to drive their stock prices up. That's going to drive more earnings for the CEO, the C-suite executives, the people that make the decisions ultimately. You make more money off my 15 bucks a month for a year rather than me buying one game and playing that one game for a year. Yep. And, and, you know, so long as those numbers go up, you know, as long as line goes up, you know, the everyone's the, happy the consumer, can, the, the consumer can complain as much as they right. want, you know, it doesn't matter. That's they, they, they succeeded, you know, and, you know, they raised that shareholder value. So, of course, why would why would they change this, the the system? You know, it's like you get the rare instances where they fuck up so badly with something like, uh, you know, battlefront 2 where ea loses 3 billion in stock value which wanted our players to have a sense of pride and accomplishment while they unlock the characters over the course of fucking 180 hours no battlefront was worse it was like 4,000 hours it was 4,000 hours i think it was 180 hours to get vader was like the okay but to unlock everything it was over 4,000 hours um but yeah it's like the you know they they'll lose some money here but they'll recoup it uh, eventually and yeah maybe they tone they tone back the practice a little bit but you know the this is just how games are made nowadays you know the the we have so, such little choice because we have no control over how how the games are being made so it's either it's either you know buy we're coerced to buy into the system or else, you know, be on our way and go do something else. It's funny to think about because um, we, we talk about, you know, they, they, they're all wanting to move to these models, but they only do it when it's advantageous to them. Like when they could, you know, make sports games, all just DLC rosters year over year. Uh, no, we get a new, we get a new game every year. We get FIFA 21, we get FIFA 22, we get NHL 23. We get, you know, like. That, that could all just be fucking DLC and then every five years release a new version of the game with uh, actual improvements. It's exactly like Nintendo's doing with Mario Kart. But instead, we, we just get the new version each year because they know that people every year will spend $60, $70 buying 2K22, 2K23, uh, Madden 27. Uh, yeah. And so this is, this is a, I think, a good a good point to kind of change our conversation to just a little bit of, you know, what has been the impact of this from a consumer perspective? Obviously it feels like, you know, to some extent, some of these streaming models initially make you feel like you're spending less, but these are going to lead to us spending more money. I think in the long run, because we'll be have, we'll have multiple subscriptions or, you know, you won't be able to resell your game. Yeah, it costs you less upfront when you play X amount of games every month, right? The entire time. But the second you start to have things that get in the way of that, and now you say you have a month where you only you don't get to play a game, or you don't you're not home, right? You know, you, you start to accumulate all this dead time where that subscription service really starts to just accumulate that real real value off you. Hundred percent. That's when NFT gaming comes in, right? So, and that's something that's where I kind of want to go with is. 
what has been, what do we like the impact of this on, you know, actual games, which I think we've seen over the last 10 years where uh, games seem to be released unfinished more frequently. It seemed, you know, it's just been a trend from my perspective of following the industry, playing games, reading reviews. Uh, you know, we used to pretty much get complete games back in 2010, but now it seems increasingly every game is released more or less uh, anywhere between 50 to 75% complete. And you either have to pay for more to get the, you know, complete version or just deal with a shitty game as they take time. Who doesn't love it. cut content DLC? So uh, besides that though, like, what other consequences have you guys felt? Like, do you think, um, where, where do you see this impacting us just from playing games? I mean, I think the, the games suffer for it for sure. And it's just, you, you, we've kind of touched on it already, but it's just the, the games are, are, are not built from a quality standpoint. You know, right. the, that's never the first consideration anymore. It's how do you, how do you re, you know, again, recoup as much value as, as you can. How, how can we uh, structure gameplay to encourage more spending? Um, so purposefully building mechanics that are frustrating that, uh, you know, force you to either abandon the game or invest real-time assets into it and it's it's bad for games you know 100 percent. and you know i don't really buy into paying for certain things in most games i i don't you know i like to personally just spend the price on the game i'll pay for dlc but one game one of the games that we've mentioned that i think really does do that purposely is uh the sports games if you play sports games and you want to do the single player that's a grind like the 2k game every year i start out playing the career mode and i'll spend you know maybe a few days trying to grind to a level where it's actually fun but it's oh it's, where your character who's like fucking six eight can actually fucking dunk yeah it can actually dunk or like not just drop the ball when they get it or isn't just riding the yeah, bench exactly. for you're just for on the bench for all but a minute yeah, of it the was game. like back in like 2k12 you could get your my player character up to fucking superstar level in like two weeks like two weeks in game yeah no of like, it was yeah. like immediate and you could also there's a glitch where if you ended the game you'd still get the points yeah. and then it would allow you to like get negative points it was no, great it was... so just put that up to superstar but, right away like i know what you're saying because i tried uh was it 2k21 uh the one with zion on the cover yeah 2k21 uh, um, I had the my character build and it was just like fucking impossible. No, it's it's, it's like cool. I'm I was like the third overall pick and I was riding the bench for fucking like 30 minutes a game. Yeah. And if you don't like your your, spend... your teammates don't pass to you, so you can't get a better grade. No, it's impossible. Uh, you just try to like set screens and shit. Yep. No, and it ends up like I, I don't understand how anyone does it. I think it I think you have to have the ability to literally drop like a hundred hours into that game to even get good. So what do I do? I just spend money and make myself better. And they're making more money off of providing me with a, you know, a game that is more difficult purposely for that purpose. I think I, I don't, I don't see a real reason to make it, it as they hard make as they the pace do. slow enough. So it feels like you're actually trying to fuck. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually player. becoming an NBA player, but 
All right. So the next thing, and I think we can kind of wrap it up with this topic here is, you know, where, where do we see this going? Uh, as we've mentioned, the top 10 players aren't going anywhere. These have been the biggest names in gaming for the last 25 years. They're only going to, but Microsoft's going to put Sony out of business. <laughs> yeah, right. Microsoft will do that. They're only going to change if they, if they consolidate really. So where is this going? And, you know, I don't think it's really a, a good, a good, outlook but uh from my perspective i think you know we're heading towards a streaming based model freemium pay to play type shit and then the last aspect of it that i'm i'm hoping is far off is the introductions of ads in like every form of gaming obviously ads drive mobile but um I don't know. How long is it till we well, see I can't an wait ad until for between a deaths game. and Elden Ring? I have to watch a fucking 15 second ad. Yeah, exactly. Like how how far is that off? I don't probably not that far. Honestly, not that far. There's already respawn respawn screens. So like that's wasted space for them to just not be throwing an ad. Right. I, so you know even the IRL NBA has learned that when people are shooting free throws, you can make the screen with the free throw shooter really? like mm-hmm. a third of the actual real estate and then they'll just put an act a full-on fucking car ad yeah that's fantastic i didn't know that uh, oh, essentially that's all of the major sports do some form of that now where they'll they'll take at a slow point in action they'll like do oh a picture they're gonna be picture. punting so let's put the punt over here in the corner so we can talk about rage shadow legends yeah. it's so I, I don't know i don't think that's long off either but uh, anyone have any more positive views on the future of this? <laughs> I can say um, a positive spin. I hate the streaming service thing personally. Uh, but like the only positive benefit of it I can see is like you can have cheaper upfront startups for uh, like internet cafes. You can have just a bunch of Chrome boxes with uh, cloud streaming that you pay for. Like, I don't know, 80 bucks a month of cloud streaming for your fucking eight. Uh, eight uh, chrome boxes in your cafe you yeah but that's people. a whole different licensing scheme i know i'm just like like, that, like yeah. that's the uh, i talked about that the other day with someone i worked with that uh, that's the only positive outlook i could see for the cloud streaming yeah. platforms yeah like cheaper upfront uh arcadey style internet cafes yeah. i you know me I, with these things i'm never optimistic about them you know if we know anything it's that these markets are you know kind of closing in on themselves they are becoming ever more saturated and fully realized and if there's one thing that capitalism can't abide it's stagnation you know they must they must find some new frontier you know, and so that is obviously what we're seeing with the whole metaverse thing. And that's, you know, gaming is at the, is at the, the forefront of that. So I don't, ex- I don't expect anything, but the, any and all attempts to get as much money as possible. They, they have, they have no incentive not to, they haven't, they have, they have no reason not to. Yeah. And going back to our, like, you know, why do people accept this? Speaking of the metaverse, like I have a professor who's a, a a litigator in like the cable broadcasting industry, and he was talking about the metaverse. And the way he talks about it is in such a way, like you know, like uh, you know, it's shitty, but 
it's coming. So like, we're just going to embrace it. And it's, that's saddening to me that, you know, we're just in control by these corporate stooges that are like, yep, we'll embrace it because it's the next big thing. And then we'll drop it when it, you know, when it no longer makes us any sort of money, any revenue. So I guess it's time to learn how to uh, farm NFTs, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm pretty sure that ship has already sailed. Again, it's <laughs> like the you needed to be the first one to to get in on it to unload on some fucking sap. Um, you know, because again, the, it's all about uh, we we talked about like why they're you know getting into these uh, why why the metaverse is you know exploding now and why it's like it's like it's being forced upon us. Like it's decided that it is uh, you know it's here to stay. It is already a thing. Um, and it's because the, they, you know, they need people to come in and buy in. They need, they need the buy. And if it was already as profitable as they claim, they'd be, you know, they'd be keeping it for themselves. You know, they'd be hoarding the, you know, the wealth, like what they do every, everything else, but they, they need us to buy in. So it's just the, it's just the only thing that they're going to present us with. It's the only option. There is no alternative. No, and and I think something that isn't mentioned a lot with that is ultimately like the they want to incorporate the metaverse and NFTs because, like Matt had said, they don't want they want a slice. That's that's another goal of that. I think is getting a slice of that secondary market because then they can control that market and provide a marketplace and you can resell your NFTs and whoever is you know running that marketplace is going to take a little bit of cut and that's just more revenue for them uh so yeah i i'm i'm kind of with you i think this is uh where we're going they always have to be innovating for their you know not for you know what makes a good game no. but what makes more innovation money. for money absolutely and and that secondary market is definitely uh i think animating a lot of this um you know especially the move to streaming because that has just been a you know a tough spot for for capitalism forever and specifically in like the digital and like entertainment uh realm that they they've litigated that heavily yep 100% so I think that kind of brings us to any final closing thoughts from the rest of you. I think, uh, I just want to say, I think it's uh, great that we started with Milton Friedman. And I would just like to remind viewers that this stuff has been, or viewers, listeners, that this, uh, you know, this idea has been in the works and, you know, America's capitalist economy for you know, over 50 years now, um, you know, these types of trends have, have been there and have almost, uh, been like prophesized, you know, they they were inevitable. The like exploitation at such a like granular level was going to be the, the move of capitalism. Um, so just, I, I think it's important to keep looking back at that, like point in history around like the late sixties and seventies, whenever you're trying to make a critique of, of modern capitalism. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, way to leave off. So with that, uh, thank you for joining and uh, go, go boost your shadow raid legends level.
if you use if you use a special camp special campaign comrades code you get like you know if you use code suck dick you get ten dollars you get ten dollars off your first bundle of in-game currency yep so uh you get one gotcha pull and it's just me (laughs) flipping you off yeah so go out and uh and join shadow raids legends shout out shout out them uh (laughs) shout out to at campaign comrades twitter i think that's the social help me out no. it's, that's it's at, at camp Compod yeah, on twitter is, at camp Compod. check us out there that's the best way to find out everything that's going on you got the link tree twitch.tv slash campaign underscore comrades yeah find us there we'll be streaming. yeah all right adios till next time bye bye